0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. All right, well, good morning. How are you? Good, good. I am lead pastor Scott Harris, um, and I want to wish all of you moms a happy Mother's Day. And um, you know, my mom has uh, gone to heaven, and so I can't say that to her, but I say it to her today in spirit. Um, but I'm also reminded uh, of the person who serves as my mom on this earth right now is my mother-in-law. And I'm um, just thinking about her today. Uh, I just love her and appreciate her. And so I want to extend a happy Mother's Day to all you motherly people. Is that fair enough? I and mean, there's a lot of people that play that role in our lives. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, happy Mother's Day. I appreciate you. I love you. Um, our Mother's Day, I say ours, um, but I'm going to take this. Is on the plane right now. We got this picture. This is our youngest daughter Stephanie. That's our granddaughter Gracie, and that is them flying to America. Right, so they are over the ocean right now. Yes, and that's Sandy's Mother's Day present. That will um, we'll open that up about 9:45 tonight. Uh, so we're we're this is going to be a great Mother's Day. Uh, so that'll be a little Gracie's. First time in America, okay? So we're excited about that. Sandy always talks to her. Says, remember, you're American. She says that. <laughs> she doesn't want her to forget, right? Um, well, this morning, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. And so uh, uh, we're continuing our, our series uh, on the book of Ephesians. And we're gonna look at um, kind of the resistance today. Um, so let me just pray over our time. Again, if you need a Bible, it's okay to keep your eyes open. Raise your hand. Let me pray. Father, you're good. We love you. Your word is powerful, so we trust it. Uh, we invite it to come in and transform and change us. I pray, God, that we came this morning, that we'd be forever changed because we encountered you uh, through worship, uh, through the word through your people. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, so we are uh, studying the book of Ephesians, and we're in this section, chapter six, that really talks about this resistance that we have uh, against our Christian life. And so just uh, give an, an update, uh, a review of the book of Ephesians. Remember, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul late in his ministry. He is actually imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing back to a church in Ephesus, Ephesians, that he spent a lot of time with them. And his purpose of this letter is to remind them who they are, because what's happening, the temperature is rising Um, politically. And I believe he is acutely aware of it as a prisoner in Rome and hearing all that's going on. For you historians understand Nero is in power and would ultimately persecute Christians uh, at a level of persecution never seen before in history. Um, And so I think he feels this temperature rising. They are in Ephesus, which is really the, the center at the time of pagan worship. So socially, things are rising up. And I think Paul pens this letter to say, um, don't forget, don't forget. And he does a, this format. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about our position, who we are in Christ. So if you look at Ephesians chapter one, you hear words like we have every spiritual blessing. We are chosen. We are predestined before the foundation of the world. Uh, we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Um, all these things that Christ gives us, the position we have in Christ. And then from there, the last three chapters, uh, he talks about um, uh, the practice of that. What does it look like to live that out? And he gives us this charge, and it's where the title of our series came from, and that's in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. If you look at that, he says, I, uh, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, "Uh, urge you to walk in a way worthy of your calling, he says. And then we took that and reduced it, and and I called this series, The Worthy Walk. But it's inspired from that. And I think it's so relevant for today, right? You know, I talk about temperatures rising and all these things. Uh, I would assume I'd get a hearty amen from all of you. Uh, So the call is relevant today is to walk a worthy walk. It's our challenge. But in that walk, and this is the section we find ourselves now in chapter 6, there is resistance. There's a headwind coming against you, right? There is an enemy. Uh, Mark kicked us off, and I want to read that scripture. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. But it talks about this real enemy that we have. I'm going to read 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's our enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He's going to talk about demons and Satan's army. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we break that apart a little bit. Um, What we see is uh, we have an enemy, the devil, Satan, right? And and our enemy, he's a created spirit being, right? An angel that because of pride, wanted to take the place of of Jesus, was cast down from heaven. And not only him... but also they think about a third of the angels rebelled with him and were all cast down. And now they're in this world and he's called the father of this world and he is moving around here and working, okay? And what his plan is, I want to tell you like this because people ask, well, what are they like? As you look at scripture, Satan and demons are personified as, you know, snakes and dragons and stuff. It's a created being um, that, you know, has different kind of a, a imagery. We experience them, but think of this: most often, it's he's an angel, right? Uh, but he has personhood, and that personhood means he has a, a mind, a will, emotions, desires, and you see that as he interacts, like in the garden, right, with Job, temptation of Jesus. You see this interaction in this will, but that power that Satan has in this world is limited limited by God. right? Satan cannot do anything without uh, God's permission. And Satan's power is limited by us, uh, by our lives, and what we give him, the space, the footholds that we give him. And we'll talk about that in this message. And so Satan schemes, what is he up to? What are the demons up to? Well, they are called Revelation 12 right, to deceive the whole world and they deceive the whole world by distorting truth. It's the father of lies. He distorts things. And if you uh, read all through Scripture, go back to the garden, sometimes it's just subtle. But that's all it takes to take your eyes off Jesus. Right? And the ultimate goal is to destroy the work of God, uh, destroy the people of God. That's his scheme. Now, for me... Um, I learned early in my Christian walk that this spiritual warfare thing is is valid. It's it's true, it's real. Um, You know, I've been in ministry now about 25 years and what God has allowed me to experience and to see is amazing. And some days I'll tell you all the stories, just incredible, the beauty and the powerful and the lives transformed. And and so when I, at 24 years old, went to church for the first time as somebody kind of seeking. Um, I walked into this church. Um, I had no idea that eventually it would be a 25 plus year career in ministry full time. So I just walk in there, I've got a wife and our oldest daughter. So you walk in there, some uh, kind of acquaintances invited us. Sat in this little pew uh, about three rows back and church started. And I just noticed my knees start shaking. I That's kind of weird. I'm not a shaker. Not I at 24. Um, so started shaking. Started shaking a little bit more. And I nudged Sandy and said, I pointed it at my knee. I said, "What this thing is?" This is "Weird. It's kind of a little low, embarrassing." Um, so it's going, and you know, I start my other knee starts shaking a little bit. Okay, this is weird. Uh, and they're singing songs and doing this thing that church people do. You know, not been around it, so just going with the flow. But I'm shaking. I've got my little daughter here, who's probably in kindergarten. And they say, "Okay, parents, you can take your kids to children's church." And I was like, that's my way out, because I'm shaking, this is weird, I'm starting to sweat. So I grab her and I follow all the kids out to this little room they had um, where the kids did their, their children's search. You know, she went there. them, and I went into the corner and sat down to try to gain control of whatever was going on, was kind of freaked out and this a little weird, uh, but the shaking continued. And, um, and it got to a place, I'm not even exaggerating, I was probably hopping off the chair this far. And I thought, I'm going to embarrass my kid. This is weird. Like, there's the new guy, the dad, you know, shaking in the corner like a crazy man. So I went outside, and we're in eastern Washington over in Cheney because we're in school at the time. If you've ever been there, it's a winter. It's about 200 million degrees below zero, right? Uh, it really is. Uh, I think they just stopped measuring it there in the winter. Um, so I go out to my car, and I'm, I'm literally just sweating. I jump in my car, turn it on, crank the air conditioning. And I sit there for 45 minutes to an hour, and finally everything kind of calms down. Uh, and my wife and these kind of friends that invited us to church come searching for me. Um, and, um, you know, I knew then that, boy, <laughs> there's something out there. Uh, and now, as I look back, what I know, he did not want me to do the work God had set me out to do, you know. So, you know, hindsight's always 20 20. So, when I talk about spiritual warfare, we look at this. You know, don't categorize it anywhere outside of the scriptural truth. It's true. It's real. Um, but remember what I said: the enemy doesn't have power. Either God gives it to him, or we surrender it to him. But we are victorious, so we shouldn't be freaked out. But we need to be aware. We need to be aware. And as we look at this, that I think that's what Paul's doing. Hey, here's the resistance. So let's look at that. Last week, um, uh, uh, (laughs) Damien talked about it. Uh, No, yeah, last week. I love what he said. He says, how are we going to counter this? How do we fight this? What's our our role? Uh, And he used a Captain America speech, right? He said, "Um, if you got a suit, do what? Suit up. And you see what I just read in chapter six is put on the whole armor of God, right? We have been given a suit that we need to suit up He gives us this picture of how we can fight the enemy and be victorious so that we can stand firm. That means you can set your feet in the truth of God and not be afraid. And that's the place that we need to be in. But in order to get there, you have to understand what's taking place and how to do it. And Damien talked about uh, the belt of truth. So it starts there as we put this whole armor of God. And then we're going to look at how to protect your power source, which Ephesians 6, verse 14, the second half of that says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 14, you see it there. Uh, So let's look at this. What is the breastplate? And then we're going to look at what is righteousness. The breastplate, uh, look at this picture here. This is a Roman soldier. Remember Paul? Um, is using this picture, I believe, because he's got a Roman soldier in the room. <laughs> he's like, hey, there's a good illustration. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Ephesus is in Roman territory. They know all about the Romans. So this is a picture they're gonna get. So there's a Roman soldier and the breastplate, you see this, this metal uh, design that covers the torso. They put it on that strap up and it's usually layered metal. Sometimes they use rings um, and what its purpose is. Its purpose is to protect your vital organs right, during battle so that spears and knives and stuff cannot get in to the heart so that they can win the battle, right? They wanna win the battle. Whatever battle they're in, they wanna win it. But also, they wanna go home, right? They wanna go home. They have a life, a full life for them, they don't wanna die in some battlefield. They wanna go home. Think of our police officers. Why do they put those big, bulky, uncomfortable body armor, uh, bulletproof vest on? We all see them walk around, right? You know, the poor things, they look like the marshmallow man, right? You know, the Michelin man, you know what I mean? Um, why do they put those on? Right, because they want to win the battle they're gonna be in, the protecting of us, And guess what? They have a wife and a kids and a family they want to get home to. They want the full life to live and so they want that protection to protect them. Okay, so Paul's painting this beautiful picture of this protection, this breastplate. So what's our vital organ that we need to protect? Proverbs 4, 23 and just, I memorized it in the NIV, uh, and many of you have probably heard this, but feel free, Proverbs 4:23, It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Some of your translations say it's a wellspring of life. All of life comes from your heart. See, our, our heart is the center of our emotions, Our will, our desires, our faith, our fight is in our heart. And from that, everything. So you and I can talk, and if you say, boy, that's off, Scott, you're going to be able to track that down, whether it's what I say, what I think, uh, that's off, back to my heart. It is the vital organ in our Christian lives is our heart. And we are called above all else to guard it. And there's a reason. First Peter 5.8. First Peter 5.8 tells us this, that we have to be alert, sober-minded, because our enemy, Satan, the devil, demons, are prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour. See, what they are looking for, what the enemy is looking for is a way to come in and crush your heart, to destroy your heart. Because if you destroy the heart, you destroy the life. Uh, Many of you guys know I've coached for many, many years, sports. um, And as a coach, um, I could tell every game. When we won, and it wasn't when the innings were over or the clock hit zero. When you saw someone give up their heart, you knew. I'd look at my coach and say, We won. Could be the second quarter, could be third, could be the fourth. Fourth, sometimes I'd say, Oh, we just lost. Because you lose your heart, you lose your fight, you lose your b- belief that you can win. You forget what to trust in. Right? So, the enemy is doing the same thing. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. And that picture is much like we've seen in, you know, I think of Africa, right? And the, the poor wildebeest that we all see. What do the lions do? They come up and they just kind of trot alongside them, right? What are they doing? They're looking for weakness, vulnerability. Where's a chink in your armor? Where is your breastplate shifted? Or I can get in at that heart. And they're watching. And they pick a weakness out of that herd, right? And then we've seen the images. And that's the picture Peter's trying to paint there. This is what our enemy is doing. But we have a protection, right? we got a breastplate to protect us. And as Damien mentioned last week, there is a belt of truth that comes around and holds that breastplate in place So those vulnerable spots aren't exposed. So what's the truth of our breastplate? What's the truth of that? It's righteousness. That's why he calls us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So righteousness uh, is our protection. So what is righteousness? You know, uh, define it. uh, It's a right relationship with God, a right, relationship with God. Pretty simple, right? Uh, But powerful. It's a right relationship with God because 1 John 5.18 tells us that when we're in a right relationship with God, with Jesus, uh, the enemy can't touch us. You are protected by righteousness when you're in a right relationship with God. 1 John 5.18. And it says paraphrase because I paraphrased it. So Read that to test me there, okay? (laughs) Pretty sure I got it right. (laughs) So righteousness, as we look at righteousness, righteousness has two parts to it, okay? Uh, There's our position of righteousness, and there's our practice of righteousness, okay? So as we look at our position of righteousness, okay, uh, the first thing we have to understand is uh, our broken relationship with God, okay? Our broken relationship with God. Um, Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59.2 says that that sin actually separates us from God. It breaks the relationship. You know, I think most of you understand the Garden of Eden story, right? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? It broke relationship. They hid from God. They ran from God. They actually covered themselves, is what they did. So sin broke the relationship with God, the right relationship with God, all relationship with God, and we all have sinned. And this sin has weakened us. It put us in a place of self-righteousness. Isaiah 64, verse six, says your righteousness, your self-righteousness is like polluted garment, filthy rags that basically like a leaf just drop on the ground and die and are taken away. So what happens is in this broken relationship of sin, of separation, uh, it creates a weakness in us a weakness that puts us in a place of self-righteousness. We start relying on a relationship with self and us and our good works, our being nice enough, um, don't have to figure out a worldview. We're okay. In fact, I'm not even gonna think about it. Scripture says that has set you up to be taken away. Remember 1 Peter 5.8 that prowling, roaring lion looking. Says, you're vulnerable. But here's the good news, okay? Here's the good news in this battle with this enemy. Uh, and the protection is our the righteousness is God has given us a gift. He's given us a gift. And that is this, of, of righteousness. If you look at Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, you don't have to turn there, you can. Uh, but, but looking at this letter and how Paul's talking about these things, uh, chapter two, he talks about, you know, you were once controlled by the enemy, right? Uh, by Satan, the enemy had you. Uh, and that's the first couple of verses there in chapter two, Ephesians. And you go there in verses eight, nine, and 10, what takes place is this. He says, I'm gonna give you something, grace. And that grace is gonna, in the way of forgiveness uh, that takes you to salvation which restores the relationship with me brings you back to a right relationship with God 1 Timothy 2 5 says um, that there's only one mediator between man and God in this broken relationship and that is the man Christ Jesus and his work on the cross, his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin that allows us to be in a right relationship with him. And look what happens. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21. What we get from this gift is, is, is forgiveness and salvation, restored relationship. But listen, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him, just talking about Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ. Listen to the second part of this. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5 21. What we get is the righteousness of God, the position of righteousness. Because of what Jesus did, right, it puts us into a right relation with God and we become God's righteousness. We become right relationship with Him. And so if the breastplate of righteousness is the protection of our heart, um, we have it in Christ alone because of him and what he's done. He put it there. It's his righteousness that we have. And I love this. And that righteousness begins to work in us. Um, and if hopefully you're in Ephesians 6 still. Um, verse 10, if you look at that, in that rela- relationship, what we get is his strength, his might that says, This whole putting on the whole armor of God and this resistance that we have against the enemy, right? That power comes from Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that he gives us when we believe in him. It's in his strength and his might. We get his strength. Do I have to fight the devil? No. I just got to run to God. How many of you here have ever had a big brother or sister? Because girls can be mean too. So raise your hand. Big brother or sister, got one of them, right? Uh, remember in the playground when you got bullied and you got to call in big brother or sister? Now deal with that, right? So guess what? When you're a little squirt, you don't have to be tough if you've got a big brother or sister, right? They got it, right? That's exactly what God, did. we don't have to be tough. He's got it. It's his righteousness. Why am I not afraid of the enemy? Not because of Scott Harris. Because of Jesus Christ and him alone. All right? So we get his strength. Oh, and it gets better. Okay? Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 19. Uh, and what is happening here, Jesus just sent out 72 disciples, followers of his. And they're coming back and debriefing this. And man, and they rolled it up and they went into spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, fighting the enemy. And Jesus says there, he goes, I have authority over the enemy and I give you authority so you can stamp them out. You can stamp out the enemy. So what happens is we're given authority. Mark did a great job, so listen to the message a couple weeks ago of talking about this, but we have been given authority. Uh, Can I tell uh, Satan, devil, demons to get her? I can, not on my authority, but on the authority given to me in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so know this, you've been given righteousness, you've been given strength, you've been given authority, and it's packaged in his grace for you. So I want to leave you um, with a few of these thoughts. I'm not done quickly, so don't think that. (laughs) Uh, But I want to talk about some indicators of righteousness, of right relationship, and some indicators of unrighteousness, some things um, when when the relationship isn't right. So what are some indicators of righteousness, of being in a right relationship with Jesus that protects us? And 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 don't go there, I'll talk about it, but in Ephesians chapter 4, right? Paul, again, in this letter, talks about this. Okay? He talks about uh, th- this enemy. He talks about um, you know, righteousness in the way of, of the new life we have in him, the new life we have, being right with him in this relationship. And what are the indicators? And you know those indicators on your car, um, those just tell you, hey, watch out, right? You need to pay attention to something because something could become a problem if you don't tend to it. And the same with what's righteousness. It's his righteousness, but there's things that we can see is, are we heading in the right direction? Are we there? Um, same way with the, the bad stuff is, are we starting to veer off being taken away from that? So indicators of righteousness. Um, Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll give you all these things. And the whole ye in there is because I learned this first in the King James. Um, I'm becoming a translation mutt. I don't know about all of you, right? Uh, it's uh, crazy. So, uh, but yes, seek his righteousness and his kingdom. So, an indicator of righteousness, right relationship, are you seeking it? I use this the proof is in the pursuit. I have many people coming up and I want to be discipled. I want to grow in the Lord. What do I do next? Um, and it doesn't take too long to find out where their pursuit really is. Did they just get in trouble with their wife and want to have a chat? Or are, are, are they, is their heart pursuing Jesus? Uh, it, so the proof is in the pursuit. Are you pursuing him? Right? Seeking, seeking him. The second is obedience. Deuteronomy 6.25 says this, that um, we get this righteousness by obeying his commands. Meaning that we trust him. We trust that his ways are better than our ways. And so if you say to do this, I'm going to believe you. Parents of teenagers, right? How many times have you given instructions to your kids and you say, just believe me, I know just, I know my ways are better. I want good things for you. Uh, and you can see it in their eyes. Nope, but I go to try it myself. You'll say, hey, i will show you some scars from doing that. I'm trying to help you, right? <laughs> and that's what God is. Are you obeying him? Are you obeying him and saying, yes, I trust your ways are better than mine? Another thing, an indicator of righteousness uh, is delighting in him. I love Psalm 37 four. delight in the Lord and he shall put the desires uh, in your heart, right? So in a sense is that he's working our heart. When we delight in him, when we find it joy, not just all oh, your commands are a burden. I don't have any you know, fun. I'm, I'm a Christian. Man, you're missing it. You are absolutely missing it. There's not a greater adventure than being a Christian and it's getting more fun as time progresses <laughs> you with me uh, right we are talking about satan and the enemy but man we're on the winning team and winning is fun just so you know winning is fun um and so we delight and say yes i, I know this is for my good thank you I god and i'm enjoying his guidance in the life that he has for me so are you delighting in god these are indicators of righteousness also indicators of righteousness is transformation. See, I love this about Jesus. He does not come into our life to keep us the same or get us to a place where we stop growing. No, if you're not changing, I don't care if you've been a Christian 50 years, 60 years, if you're not growing, you better, heads up, heads up. Uh, Transformation is an indicator of right relationship. Romans 8, 29 says, um, we are called to be, uh, become like the likeness of Christ. So you say, well, I don't know if I'm changing. Well, grab Jesus, look at him, and say, am I becoming more and more like him? If the answer is yes, uh, slap, slap on the, oh, sorry, the butt, back, right? It's a new era. <laughs> back, good job, keep going. Indicator, your relationship was right. Celebrate that, go, change, transformation. I hope in a year's time, You come, and I am not the same person. say, boy, that guy's different. Hopefully seeing more and more of Jesus in me and through me. I hope the same is true of you, right? And it becomes an indicator of right relationship because it gives me protection from the enemy. Also in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, the whole thing is kind of talking about giving, but it has this cool line. It talks about a harvest of righteousness, Meaning this is that when we are living right with the Lord, there's a harvest that follows it. So if you want to know, hey, how am I doing? Look around you. Are people different because they're your friend? They're in your family. And I was just thinking about this, and I you know, just about started crying a couple days ago, just remembering, uh, for me, you know, in my kind of household, I was the first one who became a Christian. Uh, sometime after a few months, my, my wife, Sandy, became a Christian. Man, there's a harvest of righteousness. Like, oh, wow, God, look what you did. Look what you did. My kids, uh, both of them walk with Jesus. They love Jesus. Um, their husbands love Jesus. I thinking, no, it's not me. I'm just thinking, thank you. It's a harvest of righteousness, being right with him and letting him do his thing. You know, my sister, you know, and most, I've, heard, I've told enough stories. You know how hard our growing up was, us, was painful and abusive and all those things. And there's a lot of kids, but there's two of them that follow Jesus. Me and, and my youngest sister, and we we're the youngest of the pack, and our lives are radically different. They don't even look like the other brothers and sisters. You know what the difference is? Jesus. Jesus, we grew up in the same home, same abuse, Jesus. I was thinking of, and I've got time, so I'm gonna tell you this story. Uh, There was a girl, I was a youth pastor on Orcas Island. Uh, She was an exchange student from Costa Rica. Audrey's her name. So she comes up and, um, you know, uh, and she seeks me out. I'm the local youth pastor or coach. Find out that girl loves Jesus. Like, whoo, she loves Jesus. And it's like, man, uh, righteousness just flows from her. And if you know anything about Orcas Island, I love that place, but it is antagonistic toward Jesus. I'll say it bold: I think they hate Jesus. That's what it feels like, that collectively. You know, there's Christians there, and so that was the environment that um, I was pastoring in. Also, this girl comes from Costa Rica, 16, 17 years old, loves, loves Jesus, um, and of course, you know, most of the kids around there are from that environment of not being anti-Jesus, and so uh, over time, she was there about a year, because she extended and came back, but she loved Jesus so much, and so much love just overflowed from her, and she just walked steady um, that I saw a shift in the kids, and at 17 years old, she went to uh, visit home and just died Yeah, um, sad, sad. sad. Very, really sad. Amazing. I was thinking, God, why'd you do that? You know, I can't answer this. I know some fruit of her righteousness and this harvest of righteousness of hers because all of a sudden I get a call uh, to this public school. No Jesus, right? I can tell you stories of how I know No Jesus. Um, They said, Scott, will you come up? Uh, Okay. So I walked up, superintendent, talking to her. um, And she says, okay. So she starts talking. And I was like, she said, I'm going to call the teachers in, and I'll call the students together, and we'll be here then, okay, and I'll give you the mic. I'm like, okay, what do I I'm saying, did I hear this? I said, so, uh, and what do you want me to do? Shall I just do, do whatever? So public school superintendent called their entire staff, right, entire student body, because of this girl's tragic death. It was hitting them. Um, and then handed me a mic and said, i step aside. Let me talk about Jesus. Right, This is a harvest of righteousness, right? And it's an indicator, look around you. Sometimes you have to be steadfast and persevere because it doesn't feel like it impacts your home, your family, your friends, your, your coworkers in a day. But I'm gonna guarantee you something, by the, you know, the authority of scripture and the power of God, that if you stay strong, you will see a shift. Okay. Persevere, okay? Indicator of righteousness. There's also indicators of unrighteousness in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? It, it, it talks about this. And um, it, it, it talks about things. It says, you know what? The first thing he says is uh, unbelief or hardening of the heart, it says. That we just, because we don't trust God, we just miss God, the relationship, and everything he has altogether. Because we're just closed off, shut down. No, don't trust you. And the hardening of a heart type of thing is this progressive thing. So Christians know this, you can become, as scripture would say, stiff neck, your heart start hardening, you become closed off to the things of God. And so some of you that have been walking with God for a long time, you know, there are areas that you're probably starting to harden your heart toward him. He'd been tapping you on the shoulder for a long time, right? And so that becomes an indicator, a warning sign that you're drifting away, veering away, um, from the righteous relationship, the right relationship that protects us. So unbelief becomes a, an aspect of it. And then he goes here. Let me make sure I get my list right here. Oh yeah, that's probably what I wasn't remember. This is one of the hard ones. <laughs> Verse nineteen there in Ephesians four is an impure life, right? impure life meaning you're doing it your own way uh, whether it's in the, uh, the, 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 the sensual self gratification all these things you have, are missing the life that God says he has for you he's got a full abundant life for you and impurity comes in and starts pulling you away because it feels more fun right it's better it's easier for, you know, and that, again it's a, it's a tool of to the enemy because wouldn't sin be easy to deal with if it wasn't fun? Imagine that. Sin was like eating liver and onions. Oh, got that mastered, right? Done. I'm gonna offend some people here, right? Sin is like eating sauerkraut, right? I know some of you, like, hey, you Germans are mad at me. I know, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> right? It'd be easy, but it's not. The picture I get, is like going to a candy store. For me, it's like going to Cinnabon. Love that place, man. That's where I grew this thing from, right? Um, uh, it's like that. And it draws us to an impure life that we don't trust God. We miss the life that God has for the temporary. So it becomes an indicator of unrighteousness, a relation with God that isn't right and getting veered off. The other aspect here is... Uncontrolled anger, I think I have. Oh, yeah. Uh, Verse 26 and 33 there says, uh, uh, you know, make sure you deal with your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Is a scripture. You know it well, right? Um, And give the devil a foothold because that's what this whole section's talking about, these footholds, these opportunities that the enemy takes when we have unbelief, when we live an impure life, uh, when we have what I call uncontrolled anger. Is anger a sin? No. Is it fertile ground for sin? Yes. So that's why I said uncontrolled anger, not anger, but it's out of control uh, because what happens is your anger, I'm gonna promise you something. Ready, here's a promise. Even if you think that person you're spilling your anger to is with you, it is breaking relationship because that relationship is losing trust. Because we all know it. I'm the same. I, I sin with this. Uh, if they'll do it with you, they'll what? Do it to you. Right? And so scripture talks with anger and be mindful in that. Deal with it. Don't let it be uncontrolled. Because what happens is you begin to miss your support system. God has given us God's people. Right? To support us. And then it goes into all other Places it becomes just unfiltered talk. Right? We become unkind. We begin to lies. uh, Ephesians four talks about falsehood, slander, gossip, divisive spirit, talking bad about people. Right? You know, and all of us should be doing this right now because this is probably some of the greatest sin that humans face, especially in church. Right? In the way of expressing our opinion, we go in and start breaking relationships, start doing things, and we miss the language of God, which is love, which is grace, right? These important things. That doesn't mean we can't talk about hard topics. But we're never excused in a right relationship with God to have it be lies, anger, uh, unforgiveness, being unkind, divisive. That's not the language of God. We miss it. Um, It leads into a place of unforgiveness, right? And then what here is when we get to that place, we are missing the heart of Jesus. Because forgive as I have forgiven you. Meaning when you do this, oh yeah, you're going to get Jesus. Okay. And we all know it. Like, oh man, you feel it when you finally break through and you forgive somebody that, you know, you've been sinfully not forgiving. Um, And this last point I want to talk about here is... um, an unhealthy identity. All through Ephesians 4 here, it's talking about the new self, the old self. Because right? what happens, you have to remember, the Christian life is not. It is not a performance. It's a relationship. We can make it a performance. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Even this talk can feel like that, and it's not. Because where does our righteousness come from? From Jesus. So what happens is Philippians one verse eleven says um, that we have a fruit of righteousness, and that is our practice of righteousness. It overflows, right, from this position of the righteousness that we have with God. It starts overflowing in our lives. Uh, and so what happens is if we get to a place in this unhealthy identity is in the way of shame, of guilt, right. Condemnation, condemning yourself. John three, verse 17, uh, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So if you're feeling condemnation, that is the enemy's lies, trying to say, yeah, 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 you are unworthy. You're not good enough. Oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know what you did when you're 18, when you're 25? He just likes to needle and needle you, right? To let your eyes drop from him, Look into yourself, and and we don't use these words, but the enemy's right. God can't use me. I'm worthless. I'm no good. And that is an indicator of of unrighteousness because righteousness says, I understand God and he forgive me. um, Even in this, even in this, my head could be a hollow high because of him. Doesn't, no matter what. Does God want you to live a victorious Christian life? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Fruit of righteousness. But if you're doing it on your own strength to be a Christian do-gooder, you're gonna be sorely disappointed because of what I said about Isaiah 64, 6. You know, your self-righteousness won't work. It's when we understand who Jesus Christ is. So I'm gonna invite the band to come out, and uh, uh, I wanna land this thing in this is, What's our next step? What do we do with this uh, righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness that protects us? Um, I take you back to Proverbs 4.23. You have to guard your heart, right? Your power source, where everything comes from. And how do you guard it? You guard it with the power of God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, Christian. uh, So surrender to it. Allow Him to work, to give you power, right? To give you wisdom, to guide you. Uh, The second is the power of God's Word. He's given us the word of God, the Bible, to guide us and teach us. Uh, And I've heard it said to me, 90% of our prayers are already answered in the Bible, right? Um, So make sure you are in the practice and habit of going to God's word. Say, well, I'm kind of a new believer. Then do this next thing. You know, there's power in God's people. He's given us to one another as a family to encourage each other, to sharpen each other. So go to a, a believer and say, boy, I'm struggling with this, I need help. I feel the enemy attacking me. Guess what, that believer is gonna pray with you. They're gonna share God's word with you, right? They'll be with you. And then we can do what Matthew 5, 6 says. And that is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Don't you want a full life? Amen? You want everything God created you to be? You can be satisfied. But from your heart hunger and thirst uh, it's not an idle walk but it's a passionate pursuit of Jesus right that takes us to the, his righteousness and the right relationship with him that gives us life that he has for us so I'll end it with this all of us have to do a heart check how's your heart? is that on fire for Jesus? man keep going Keep going. Keep going. In fact, I want to hang out with you a little bit, right? I want some of that to overflow. Maybe it's grown cold. I've been doing this a lot of years, and it's becoming routine and mundane. Hunger and thirst. Check your guard post. Where has the enemy got a foothold? What are your indicators telling you? Maybe you're here and say, I don't have any of that. My life's a wreck. Maybe you haven't trusted God, but the most important thing you can ever give him, and that's your heart. So it starts there. You say, God, I want to surrender. I want to receive Jesus Christ, his righteousness, uh, that was purchased for me on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to receive that by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us in the verse 10, so I can do the things that he has for me. So if you are in any of those categories, love to pray with you. We're gonna have a prayer team over here and I invite you, um, don't set idle. Put that breastplate of righteousness on. Put on the full armor of God. Stand firm in it. And guess what? Um, We're gonna win because of him. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, we'd love to share that with you, to pray with you in faith with that. And I can guarantee you, Your life will change. May not be easier, but spiritually, Jesus will be with you and it gives us joy and peace.